Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hey, oh, what's up, gang? How are you? Um, you know who this is. You know where you are. I uh, see it's Monday. Oh, my. This weekend, I was just sort of melting down that uh, I always have such anxiety about putting on shows, whether it's a show I'm performing at or um, but especially a show that I'm hosting. And we had uh, Andy Awansio, um from Mishka Shabali podcast fame in town. And I, I just want to make sure that she had a great time and that we had a good show here. And I was just losing it the day of the show because it's um, state fair season right now in Phoenix. And the state fairgrounds are right across from my house. And so I was worried. At first, I was worried that we weren't going to have anybody here. And then I was worried that we weren't going to have any parking because parking is very curtailed during the uh, the state fair. I was worried that my PA from the 60s wasn't going to work, that my... Uh, my iPad from 2012 wasn't going to work. Everything worked. Uh, people, tons of people came out. Um, everybody just uh, came through like champs. Um, Andy was fantastic. Rad, his Rad Pinkard, who's been on the podcast, his first solo show here was just so great. Uh, we even had my old uh, best friend nemesis, uh, Lou Moon. Um, get up on stage again for the first time in a long time. And uh, he and several other people had my mom slapping her leg. Um, God, it was such a good night. We Probably the biggest crowd that we've had here. And it was just, it was fucking flawless. It was so great. Uh, I'm still high from it. And boy, am I, and also, boy, am I tuckered out. That was a lot. Um before I forget, please uh, please take a minute to go and sign up at the Patreon if you haven't already. Um, it goes a long way to supporting this podcast, uh, shows like the one that we did and that we will continue to do. Our next show is coming up on October 15th with uh, Christine Levine and John Merrifield and uh, a bunch of other dorks, um, the, a bunch of other... Excellent people whose names I escape me because it's in my calendar and I don't have it open. Um, also, these shows are not roasts of me. Every single one of them I've gotten fucking roasted. You guys are jerks. It's not a roast. Be nice to me. Say, say nice things about me and my mom, my family, my animals. <laughs> don't fucking roast me. Jesus. Um, the podcast today, I sat down with... One of my oldest and best friends, uh, Aaron Lazar, who is the lead singer for uh, the sex metal band, The Giraffes, and he also uh, plays guitar and writes in a band called Don't, uh, D-N apostrophe T. Uh, He and I were in a band together called Romanian Buck that fell apart uh, radically and tragically. Um, Aaron is, uh, I met Aaron when I was probably... 24 no less than that maybe 22 23 uh just a just a young blowhard in the big city and he was then and he still is just an incredible performer i'd uh i'd been uh friends with and fans of the giraffes for a long time and then uh i'd heard from 
James Sparber, the singer in our band, that they had this hotshot new singer and that, you know, he had completely transformed the band. And uh, I was like, whatever. And then I saw him and dude was just incredible, incredible stage presence. Um, I still remember seeing Aaron at his peak when he was still smoking and he would uh, he would take out cigarettes and uh, roll them and light them with one hand while he was singing. Um, just incredible showmanship and uh, a hit with the ladies. I remember seeing giraffes play at the Mercury Lounge and, uh, you know, sold out show just packed and it got real quiet as soon as Aaron got up on stage. And as soon as he walked up to the mic and put his hands on it, I could hear every woman in the room ovulate. It's a terrifying sound. The, um, a friend of mine called him the Velvet Chainsaw, just an incredibly gifted singer, writer, performer. Um, he's, uh, we have so much in common and we've been through so much shit together in the last 22, 23 years that he feels more like a brother uh, than a friend, which is to say that we've had some fucking amazing fights and uh, fortunately managed to stay out of one <laughs> for this podcast. But, uh, God, I love Aaron Lazar so much. This is, um, this is probably the closest I will come to doing a straight up inspirational podcast too, because Aaron talks a lot about, or we talk a lot about, um, a congenital heart defect, um, that Aaron has in, uh, that has killed him several times. And I guess the power of death to, renew your appreciation of life so uh yeah enjoy this podcast with uh my friend aaron lazar the i figured you'd be coming to me from the basement with because there's the snowball mic down there with the old pittsburgh toilet that's true. Yeah. Um, no, there's like a, there's a dehumidifier, there's washers and dryers, there's all that sort of stuff. Plus an emergency of child screaming for whatever stupid reason there might be. I'm up here for that. What's funny is like mentioning the Pittsburgh toilet thing, my, my dumb brain flashed back to the opening of the first giraffes record that you're on where you're like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that was, was a that was a Brooklyn walk up toilet, but it might as well have been a, <laughs> might as well have been a toilet. The, there's nothing like the sensation of like puking your guts up and then noticing there's a microphone next to your head, <laughs> and Damien's <laughs> asking you questions. He's interviewing you. <laughs> it was it was like your face is in my ho- my toilet, homie? Is that what the line <laughs> something is? Something like that. Yeah. Basically, like I noticed the microphone. I'm like, get out of my face. dude i still remember when that cd dropped in 2002 2003 yeah maybe um and Allie and i were like going upstate for some reason i think we were going to like visit her parents or something so we had a rental car that had a cd player in it and it was like such a treat at that time to have a car with a cd player in it where you're like man we're living in the future you know and uh god we listened to that thing like fucking five times going up there just kept like i kept looking at her and being like again and she was like yeah yeah the it was just uh 
I don't know. It was so fucking massive. I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, it just it it felt weird to me because my I just remember uh, printing up illegally a bunch of posters of uh, the cover. First of all, I remember getting those machetes made. I had these two machetes made <laughs> with the album title on it, and then I convinced my girlfriend to pose them topless, and then um, and then I put that on the cover, and then uh, I printed out illegally, like at work, I just, at night, I just printed out probably like about 800, 11 by 17 <laughs> color. I, I swear there are still some of those up in Brooklyn right now. There might be. Yeah. And then I spent like the next two or three weeks just biking all over Brooklyn and just, just with cans of spray adhesive, because I thought like that would stay up a lot yeah. better than anything oh, it did. else. It yeah. did. It definitely did. The, I got, I feel like I got calls from, uh, North Six and like other venues where they were bitching about those flyers being up because it was like a show at Lux, and I was like, "Go fuck yourself!" Yeah, the, like, that's right. I God forbid a fucking like, band promote. You know? Yeah, that's the dumbest thing in the world. It's like it's like turf wars between like shitty rock clubs. That's like who I um yeah. I sh- that should have been the tip off right then and there that like Williamsburg was doomed. You know what I mean? Like that, that we should have known. I mean, there were plenty of other signs. The yeah. but yeah, I mean, in, in retrospect, you look back and you're like, oh, oh yeah. The yeah. um, how are you, dude? I I feel like when I was staying there this summer that we didn't fucking hang at all. That we just talked about like I was in Italy. Yeah, the, like we hung out for like maybe two or three days. You were like in and out, like doing your thing, like meeting up with like ladies of the night. I assume. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and like uh, you know, coming home late, getting up uh, late, which I was extremely envious of. I'm amazed you were able to do it with the kids. I, I mean, to be fair, I think it was probably like mostly just meeting up with Jake Flores. But but then I feel like most of the conversation that we had was just devoted to like looking after Bill, the cat, and then yeah. dealing with the neighbors and all that stuff. The... No, you do have like a problem where like if there's any uh, man, like non-human mammal in the room, that just becomes the center of all of all thought and regard. Yeah. I, uh, I was, I was having sort of a weird lonely moment, uh, this morning, you know, and, uh, and doing that thing you do where you sort of like, look at your life and you're like, oh, fucking, this is just a vast wasteland. And I was like, you know, but my relationship with my dog is like rock solid these days. (laughs) That's the fucking, that's the easiest dunk ever. Like my dog loves me. Like, yeah, fucking dogs love. That's their job. (laughs) If your dog doesn't love, it's broken. Yeah, there's like, I'm sure I, I'm just picturing you leaving like across time, like a trail of like dearly departed, but like absolutely just fantastically happy animals in your wake while being miserable the entire time. <laughs> my uh, my iCloud uh, ran out on my phone, so I had to go through like start. I've started going back oh, through yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, having to like delete old stuff. And I swear to God, it's mostly pictures of my dick and other people's pets. <laughs> Generally not in the same photo. I wasn't like the Oh, you've got uh, a nice old tabby with one eye. Let me <laughs> I got something else with one eye. The, no, the, it's like But yeah, I was just like I have um 
I have zero rec- recollection of this location or this animal, but I have six pictures of it on my phone from 2018. That's what she said. <laughs> um, one of the things, I mean, it would, we have way too much shit to talk about, but like, let's start here. Um, you're 53, 59. The, you're my age. You're like 46, right? Uh, yeah, I think I'm 46. I think I'm going to be 46. I think so. What is it? Uh, 76. I'm at the age now where like, I get <laughs> I a little confused as to like which part of the just ultimately like bland beige years between like more depressing signposts on yeah. that. Yeah. I think it's 46. I think I'm going to turn 46. I might be I, turning 47. I'm, I'm still writing 2007 on, on my checks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I write checks. I'll write you right. a check too, buddy. The, I know, um, I know. They're nice. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that, that struck me there visiting you is that is how much your life is being the fucking family man. And the, yeah, no, I'm super boring. Like I'm a, I, I am a, I'm a breeder, uh, uh, 2.5 kids, like, you know, suburban uh, picket fence, basically. Uh, just a little like the, the sort of like aging hipster into yuppie douchebag version of that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, the fence is a different color, but <laughs> all the other shit applies. And it's weird because I, this was like, this was the, the future to avoid growing up and I desperate. Well, I don't know if I desperately, I didn't know what the fuck it was like, because I didn't really grow up a suburban in a suburban place. So the idea of the tedium and the monotony and the mediocrity of growing up in the suburbs was like, I I just, I didn't know what that was like. I just assumed that those people had better lives than me because they lived in a place where, you know, there wasn't violence around every corner. So uh, I never really felt that need to rebel against that sort of thing. Um, So when I did my rebellious stuff, it was because I thought that was fun and it was cool and it was interesting. And I liked the people, I wasn't doing it against anything else, but conversely that made it a lot easier when I found myself like, Oh yeah, I've got this health problem and I can't survive without health insurance. Like, well, looks like I'm getting a nine to five, you know what I mean? And I, I didn't really have a lot of like existential angst about that at all. It's just like, well, this is what you got to do, you know? So I did it. And then met a girl, fell in love, had some kids. I remember, I think it was probably you or, or Tim. Some, some One of my friends was like, how the fuck can you have kids? And I, I mean, I get it. I mean, how could I fucking have kids? How can anyone have kids? But at the same time, we're animals and there's about 4.5 billion years of make babies going on inside <laughs> every single cell of our bodies. Yeah. The... And um, I'm not trying to outsmart that, you know, I, so when it comes to making babies, I've never had so much fun trying to do a thing and failing. (laughs) Yep. It's funny because, you know, from my perspective, um, you know, I just sort of watching it happen organically. I felt like you flung yourself uh, headlong into, uh, suburban living, um, getting married, having kids, all that stuff. The, I didn't even think that I, I, I didn't even sort of like stop to think that, you know, some of that may have been, um, grown out from your fucking heart issue. 
and then having to oh, yeah. have health insurance and having to have a job. The, oh, yeah, will, you, will you exposit the fucking heart thing for, uh, for people who are listening who don't know the intimate details of your medical history? Sure. Uh, it was uh, 2005. Uh, it was a couple days after New Year's. I had come back to New York after a trip back to Ohio to hang out with the family. Uh, drove all night. Got up after a couple hours of sleep. Got in a rental car. Went to go drop my girlfriend off at work. Wow. And then returned the rental car. And then I was going to come home, catch up on some sleep. And I'd also thrown on a Nicorette patch because, that, you know, New Year's resolution. I'm going to quit smoking this year. God damn it. This is my year. <laughs> uh, so after crossing the Manhattan Bridge, I'm waiting at a light uh, down in Chinatown. And I started tunneling down. Like I felt, you know, I felt that really, really intense nicotine sick you get when you first hit a cigarette you know that that first the only way i can describe it's like it's it's green i don't know if i could there's not it's a very intense green sick feeling it's it's the feeling of nicotine i I miss it i miss it i i do too and (laughs) this was this was the mother of all of those though it was really really big so i instantly thought okay something's up with my nicotine patch which i pulled off of my wrist and uh, my girlfriend was like, what's going on with you? I was like, I, I, I don't know. And then I started tunneling down even more. And uh, then uh, it sort of occurred to me that like, oh shit, this is worse than anything else. It's like, you're dying. And uh, at that, I kind of don't remember that much after that. The story goes that my girlfriend uh, opened the window and started shouting for help. Uh, there was a detective coming out of the precinct that was around the corner at the end of his shift who like ran up was like, what's the problem? And he tried to get me out of the car. And apparently I hit him a few times. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. that. And yeah. And then, uh, I put my, my girlfriend said, I put my hands on the ceiling and I put my feet on the floor and I pushed really hard and like arched my back up and screamed really loud and then went limp. Wow. And then at that point he was able to like get the seatbelt off of me and drag me out of the car. And he started doing CPR. Now, just down the block on the opposite side of the street is a firehouse and coming around the corner from that firehouse was one of the hot ambulances, those like, uh, the, the Jewish ones. Uh-huh. And they, Not he the flagged them down. Tank. Yeah. 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 He flagged <laughs> them down and these guys popped me on the, on the, on the street. They, they defibbed me. Uh, and I, I didn't recall it at the time, but a few weeks later, uh, uh, in conversation with my ex-girlfriend, she's like, Oh, I ran into the EMTs. I was like, I don't remember them. She's like, you don't remember them. You were joking with them. I was like, why? She's like, you were telling them that like, Oh, how did I wake up in Tel Aviv? And like, all this sort of, they thought you were funny and they thought you were Jewish because you were fucking with them so much. And your name is super Jewish. <laughs> so they took you to Beth. I was like, Oh wait, it's coming back to me a little bit now. So yeah. So I was trying to charm my way out of the back of an ambulance because I didn't have <laughs> health insurance. <laughs> uh, it didn't work. Uh, they took me to the hospital. Um, apparently, I had a seizure there. I had another heart attack there. Um, and I spent the next week basically uh, in there while they tried to figure out what the fuck was wrong with me. Uh, I still am diagnosed idiopathic, which means no one else has the specific set of symptoms that I have um, idiopathic ventricular uh, fibrillation leading to sudden cardiac death is my official diagnosis, which basically means some crazy shit happens and this dude dies. 
<laughs> in so many medical terms. So as a result of that, I have a defibrillator in my chest um, and I kind of can't really be without health insurance ever again. So, yeah. So after that experience, I still kept doing the giraffe stuff for a few years. You know what I mean? But I was basically uh, relying on my girlfriend's health insurance and, and trying to pick up whatever crappy temp jobs I could get in between touring and playing shows to sort of pad that out using Cobra whenever I could, but it just kept getting more and more expensive. And uh, eventually I just had to sort of like go, well, if, if I don't have health insurance, then I'm going to be looking at, you know, a life of bankruptcy for the rest of my life or certain death. So I need to get a job. So I got a job. Dude, I, I still rem- I still remember so many weird details from the first yeah, time I called you, you to return the rental car. Yeah, my ex did. That's right. That's you right. You're supposed to work a fucking security shift at Knitting Factory yeah. that night. Yeah. And you yeah. called me, or the, I can't remember if you called me or if your ex called me, but somebody, somebody called me was, or yeah, no, it was your ex. And she was like, the, uh, Aaron wanted me to call you and tell him that he's not going to make it to his shift tonight because he died. The, or, or they had a heart attack or something like that. I was like, man, that's fucking one way to call into work. That's the, the it's unimpeachable. Like it can't be like, well, the can you can you just come in late? You know, right, yeah, yeah. Um, the I remember too that you had one of those new uh, V at the time. It was a, a new like V eight. It was like a Hemi wagon because uh, Lanigan drove the same car, and I, I remember oh, returning that. Was it that? Was it yeah, that? Yeah, like, you you had that, like that, that that station wagon that had the like fucking Hemi yeah, V8 the, the, in it. Or, they called like it like Dodge? the Magnum or something. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, V8 huh. for her pleasure. The, yeah, it's a that's a weird car. I, yeah, I vaguely remember renting that and going, and they're like, "This is what we have," and I was like, "No, alrighty." I've driven that car. I've driven that car twice. When I returned that rental car after you had your first cardiac event, and then um, it's like driving Lanigan's car. The, yeah. But it's one of the things, I mean, it's weird because you and I have been living with this story for almost 20 years now, The but I didn't, I've never like just interrogated you about it, The but it strikes me as kind of comical that you were like, oh God, I'm dying. And you were right because <laughs> yeah. in a lifetime of drug and alcohol abuse, there have been a million times in my life where I was like, oh, I'm dying. And I never was. The <laughs> Yeah, that, well, that, that I'll say that's the only time and I'm not, you know, like I have, I'm not as much of a psychonaut as you are, but uh, that's, that's the only time I've been sure that I was dying. Um, yeah, you have, you have a hundred percent success rate for self-diagnosis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember that being a fucking hairy week too, because uh, you were, uh, I think, I think they put you in a coma for fucking three days or something. Yeah. You were into Yeah, they kept me sedated. Yeah, they kept yeah. me out. I remember uh, going to get your brother at the airport, and um, I can't remember if I was there or if I just heard about this from giraffes afterwards, but when you came out from being intubated, your mom and dad were worried that your brains had gotten scrambled. And this is before the, they, it was before they de, de-intubated me. So I oh, okay, saw you were still intubated. a tube in my mouth, okay. so, I couldn't, yeah. so I couldn't talk. And so they're they like, were, can't, yeah, they're like, don't talk, don't try to talk, don't, don't pull it out, don't touch it. Here's and, a patent paper. We're going to ask you some questions. Yeah. And they, and your mom was like, you know, do you know who I am? And you were like, you know, yeah. And, the, and you know, do you know who your dad is? And then 
um, and George W. was in the office at the time, and uh, they were like, Aaron, do you know who the president, president is? And you had a pad of paper and you drew a dick and balls. And everybody was like, he's okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 basically. Yeah. Fucking dumb, yeah. There, yeah, there were definitely some fucking comical moments that came out of that. But um, yeah, that, yeah, it was such a fucking terrifying time. I, you know, it was extremely peaceful for me. My terror happened like right at the beginning of it. You know what I mean? Like um, I had another period of fear uh, when I got discharged just because I felt so fragile. You know what I mean? I was, I was obviously like kind of like really fucked up from it and I had to regain my strength. But um, at, once I woke up in the hospital, I had a moment of terror noticing that my mom and dad were in the hospital with me. And I was just like, this is bad. Um, and I am never going to be able to pay this off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that passed. There was another, I think the first day that I was awake, I remember I was, I was an oddity. All of the like young residents who were there studying under the older grizzled Jewish, like cardiologists, who would just follow them around like that scene from Brazil. Um, I remember they would, they would come up to me and they'd be like, oh, man, bro, you play music, bro? And I was like, yeah. And I would tell them, you know, I'd tell them about it. Like, you know, you know you're going to need a heart transplant, right, bro? Like, why the fuck do you think I'm going to need a heart? Like, why the fuck are you telling me this? Like, fuck you. I don't need a heart transplant. It's like, your ejection fraction is really fucking low, whatever. And then within a day, it's like, you know, 15% above average. And they're like, huh, I guess he doesn't need a heart transplant. Um, you know, I love, I love New York where like even the doctors call you bro. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> they didn't say bro at the time, but it was, that it's, it was that like emotion. Like they, and then there was like girls that would come candy striping, like fans of like, like Shannon and stuff like that. And I think Fiona came candy striping too. They're like, it's an event. We're going to come candy striping. So they got all dolled up and came to the hospital and like visited me. I was out of my mind on like, I think painkillers cause they had just taken me from the, the catheter lab and had been up inside my heart, you know, a few ways. Um, but all of the residents, all these like young, single, socially like retarded doctors are just like, who are those girls, man? You know what I mean? Like, how do you know them? Dude, I, like, I remember going in there to see you and, um, you were just like in bed with like um, people had just put like stacks of pornography around you. Yeah, the traps <laughs> came by and they just dumped a bunch of porn on my bed. Dude, the day the day that it happened, the day that you died, I met up with uh, Damien and Drew and like the rest of the band in in front of Beth Israel, and Drew was like, um, "Yo, you know what we should." you know what we should do? Like fucking whenever we go on tour, Aaron's always the last one to go to sleep because he knows that we're going to fuck with him. We should all go up there now while he's pa- passed out and give him the halo of testicles. And I was like, Drew, that's so fucked up. Like what the, how are you going to feel if we do that? And he dies. And Drew was like, I'm going to feel worse if he dies and we don't do it. Yeah. The, that, that man knows how to fucking stay on message. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah. 100% Drew all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No filler. Uh, full full Texan Greek uh, back to front. Um, it's weird, though. It's weird to talk about it and to talk about, like, death and the shadow of death and stuff like that because you always played shit, like, really close to the chest. And I remember sort of, like 
because there have been times where I've been knocked out and I would have weird visions or shit like that. And and um, and when I got shipwrecked, like that definitely sort of having to f- confront my own mortality, that definitely fucked with me. But I remember like reaching out, you know, sort of like trying to grill you a bunch of times when we were drinking together or whatever. Um, if you'd seen anything, if you'd had any kind of cosmic experience or whatever, and you're just like, man, just shut up. No, the, it was just, you know, it just went black. And, um, but... Which well, is not to say not, that. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's necessarily fair. So, like, th- this comes to like a question of definitions, I guess. Did I see anything when I was quote unquote dead? No. Did I have any experiences? No. Was did did I did I experience time passing? No. It was like missing time. It was just you're gone. You're out. You are extinguished. You are not there anymore. It is void. Um, but. Waking up from that and having the certainty that I was basically in the jaws of certain death and was snatched out at the last possible second just from some dumb fucking luck. Um, you know, if that heart attack had happened five minutes before, five minutes after, I wouldn't be here. Um, yeah. So I would have been on the bridge, <laughs> on the Manhattan Bridge, having a heart attack in traffic. That's awesome. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or like somewhere else on like first Avenue going uptown. Also, that's not a high survivability. The, the survivability of, of people who have this kind of heart attack is around 2%. So oh, I'm an extremely geez. lucky person. Um, so I didn't have any sort of near death experience, but coming back from that dying was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me aside from like the birth of my kids. You know what I mean? Uh, And I'm going to tell you why. Well, because like I was, you know, like a lot of other like sort of self-obsessed, shitty, you know, vaguely artistic, um, you know, edge lordy bros and dudes from my generation. I I had a sort of love affair with all of the iconography of death. I, I, I was gothically inclined, you know what I mean? Like I, I kind of felt like I, I deeply invested in the uh, in the, the twins of what is it, Eros, Thanatos, like, you know, all of those sort of like corny ideas that like, you know, death and sex are like the only things that we animals like really respect. And actually experiencing real death uh, stripped away all of the romance from it. And it set me free from... Uh, all of my bullshit and it allowed me to relax. Yeah. I, I feel that the, I, you know, I got sort of like uh, a fingernail clippings worth of that when I was doing uh, Opana because when I was drinking, I was always like, you know, I want to die. I wish I was dead. The, and then when I was doing Opana, there were definitely mornings where um, I was like, Oh fuck! I'm I'm still alive. The, I I woke up. The and I and I don't know if it was just something like biologic or chemically that was happening or whatever. But I did have a like um, that you may not live till the end of this movie. You know the yeah. um, yeah. and that definitely uh, yeah, that definitely changes you. But I mean, what, dude, what you're describing of like you know not seeing anything and just the void. And just not existing for a while. That sounds scarier than anything that you 
could or would see you know the yeah it's yeah, worse yeah, than it like the you know bill and ted's excellent adventure you know the the eight foot tall death you know i would love to hang out with that guy Are you kidding yeah, me? just just nothing is that's yeah. you know far scarier no yeah it, it really is and it and it it also reinforced uh it re-highlights uh, it, give, it gives you a certain amount of gratitude for what is there like you kind of can't have a shitty day for the first few months after you uh, you know come back you know what I mean? You will have shitty days again, I guarantee you. And that's like one of the hardest things about it is that like, you know, in time, uh, uh, you know, life being what it is, you will eventually find yourself wishing you were dead again, but um, <laughs> uh, not as much as you did before. Maybe not quite as much close, but not quite. Um, and, and life goes on. And there was a, um, I forget what the name of the guy is who wrote this, but I, I, I have never gotten it. It was a quote from a pretty trashy science fiction novel, which is like my shit. Uh, but he was talking about uh, someone experiencing death. And this pretty much sums it up for me. Uh, and he said, did you know that the brain dies from the outside in? That means the first things to go are your higher functions, your your super ego, like your sense of self, like all of your stupid little preferences and memories and all of that. And then the next thing to go is like your, your emotional core and everything. And then finally, right at the end, right before you wink out of consciousness, the last thing to go is your reptilian brainstem. And it realizes that it's been tricked and it just wants to fucking live and it screams. And that's true. I felt that. Um, yeah. and that gives me a tremendous amount of, uh, I don't know. I just feel so bad for people who've taken their own lives, uh, in ways like, you know, jumping from things. And that's why I said where, where they have the, the consciousness is free to go through that. Mm-hmm. That just, it's bad. It's not anything I would wish on my worst enemy. It's, it's, it's as real as it gets. When I was uh, when I was sailing before I got shipwrecked, we we were catching fish off the back of the boat, and the we caught some big ones, like a big you know I don't know fifty pound wahoo or something like that, and the and then we caught that marlin, or I caught that marlin off the back of the boat, yeah. and it was like you know seven feet long, and one of the things that informed my vote to not kill it was I had seen. Um, like a 50 pound fish die after we poured 151 rum on its gills, which is supposed to be the most humane way. But the, with an, with an animal that big, you can really see like it's, it's soul or whatever being fucking ripped from its flesh. You know, it, they, they, they thrash and it's, yeah, it's fucking it takes a little bit and, longer. Yeah. The, yeah. And so the thought of like pulling a, you know, 300 pound, you know, 300 pound fish on board and fucking watching that happen. I was like, no, nah, I can't, I, I just don't have the stomach for that, man. I, um, yeah. and I don't know to think about you going through that. Ugh. To a certain degree, we're all going to, you know what I mean? Like, we, I mean, I guess the fucked up thing on. is not that you went through it, but that you came back. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, like we're we're all going to go through that at at one point or another. And I, you know, I remember hearing about, it was George Harrison, like that dude broke into George Harrison's house and like stabbed him, I guess. And, uh, you remember this story? 
No. Some some crazy dude breaks into George Harrison's house. Um, Was it Eric Clapton? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> different crazy dude. Uh, <laughs> so he stabs crazy George fingers. Harrison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> slow hands, slow yeah. knife. <laughs> over here. Um, so. So this dude, he's stabbing George Harrison, and I guess, like, George Harrison's wife is, like, trying to fight the guy off. I guess she successfully manages to fight the guy off. And she said in some interviews, she's like, I watched him prepare himself for death in that moment, like, try to get his head right that he was dying and, like, get ready to go and try to, like, let go of the world. I remember seeing this before I died uh, and going, like, fuck is up with this dude you know what i mean like i'm sorry like that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me uh now now that i'm older i guess it does and it does because i've been thinking about how horrifyingly bad my experience of dying was and your story of the marlin typifies that the opposite or the inverse of that is when you watch like a, a deer in the jaws of like a wolf or, or like a mountain lion or something like that there is a moment right. where they stop struggling yeah, and it's not when they die. It's when they know they, they can't win and they can't get away and they just let it happen. Um, what, one of the that, things that, they, yeah, keep going. Go the, no, that was one, one of the things they talk about with like cops be, kicking the shit out of people after like long car chases and stuff like that is they say that I think this is a, a bullshit excuse, but it's interesting to think about is they, they say that it's prey drive, right? That they've been pursuing this, um, you know, this oh, person yeah. um, and that then when they finally catch them, it just sort of kicks in and then they just wild out. You know, so and, you're telling me that cops are operating on the level of a uh, um, of a, uh, a, a quadruped predator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, I, I can't believe that that yeah. would actually coyotes. Is. Yeah, of course. The, yeah. um, all coyotes are bastards. The um, <laughs> but uh, but then there is there is the inverse of that prey drive, which yeah. seems to be like predator drive. That you know the that you know which you described in you know, deer and antelope and rabbits and shit like that, that at a certain point, the, they seem to sort of just lean into, um, their violent death, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I've thought about that too much too. Cause I, I, I think we, you know, we definitely see some of that in people. Well, there's a lot of stories about that sort of stuff in like Holocaust literature as well. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that, like the people knowing what's, what's coming and basically just sort of acquiescing and walking into the, into the chambers, knowing what was waiting for them. And, and I mean, yeah, that's like a truly horrific, like that's, that's the, that's the true darkness of the world is that like that surrendering is simultaneously like so monstrous and yet so it, it it's such a human it's it's not even human it's this is the way of life you know what i mean like all living things in some one way or another go through this uh and they go through it in a set number of ways it's weird because it's um it's totally cosmic and it is probably the most the biggest thing maybe that you'll experience in your life is your death the end of your life and also it's completely banal because Everybody goes through it, you know. Absolutely, yeah. The yeah. that was, that was one of the things that I think made dealing with Lanigan so um, 
so emotionally tricky or so intense was that you know he'd been he'd been dead so many times and come back um you know there really was something otherworldly about him you know i mean he really you know he felt like you know the man that death couldn't kill um the but but you know but at the same time too it did transform him and not not in a joyous way you know i mean he literally had sort of like one foot in the grave you know i the when i was going through old pictures i found the first and only picture that i have of of me with him and he didn't look well then and that was like whatever 2017 or 2018 you know I have um, never seen a picture of him where he looks well. I mean, maybe yeah. one of like the first solo record pictures where he kind of looks like a young, young buck, maybe. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, no, he's not that guy. Did, um, did your near death experience or your death experience, the, did that inform you, you know, wanting to have kids or was that something you always wanted to do or? Um, yeah, I guess it did, but in like an indirect way, like, it's not like I was going like, I shall live on through my progeny. It's not, it's, I'm not thinking like that. It did give me that experience, that cellular level of, you know what I mean? That like sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm really just a collection of like animal proteins and, and things jiggling around that wants the same thing that every other like animal protein and, you know, cytoplasm jiggling around wants. And this is a big part of that. And who am I to talk myself out of basically the other big thing that life does, which is <laughs> reproduce. It's like, it is a scary thing. I mean, I've got two young kids at the end of the world, you know, um, yeah. what feels like the end of the world. Uh, it's a scary thing. Uh, right now, it really does feel like the the opening chapter of a Cormac McCarthy book or like the beginning of yeah, a horror man. movie, like just before the, just before the event, you know, it leads to like weird stuff with me where I'm sort of like, well, should I really try to like train out this particular little psychopathic tick that I'm seeing happening in my kid? Cause never know. Like, uh, just teach him how to hammer spikes through the end of clubs and like the, yeah, all right, this game is called Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny, man, because, like, I, uh, for a while there, I was going to, to the gym with uh, Damien, like, you know, three times a week. And yeah. I think I was talking to, I mean, and this is whatever, 10 years ago, and I was talking to him about, you know, wanting to get a vasectomy and the, or just like living alone or something like that. And, and he was like, bro, that's your legacy. You know, the, and I was like, man, fuck that. <laughs> like, any, the, any fuck blob of flesh can squirt out a little bit of goo and make a baby. The um, but it's you know it takes it takes a lot more than than that um, to write songs, to write a book, to create a body of work, and you know with ten years on that, you know looking at at his daughter, looking at your kids, I'm like ah. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, like, I'm not going to say that I was wrong there, but I, maybe I wasn't fully a hundred percent right. You know? No. Yeah. The only, the only truth in life is that you, you, if you're lucky, you live long enough to regret every single fucking decision you've ever made. <laughs> oh, I'm um, there. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. On the flip side of it, I know exactly what you're talking about on the flip side of it. It's like, I mean, listen, 
you can spend your entire life like inculcating like your progeny on like the way you want them to be so that they can make the world a better place. And then they just may decide to be like, eh, fuck it. I want to be a line cook. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they may just decide to do whatever the fuck they want. They're their own yeah. people. They're individuals. They owe you nothing. I mean, yeah, they owe you kind of nothing. They really don't owe anybody. I mean, there's also the fucking Alex P. Keaton of like having yeah, sort of, of liberal, you know, hippie yeah. parents and then just being like, mom and dad, fuck you. I'm going to be a Republican, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I was joking about that with another dad friend of mine the other day. I was like, can you imagine in about 10 years, all of these like super like woke children that we're raising are going to be fucking like the SS or something like when they hit the rebellious stage, it's going to be bad. <laughs> All the all these kids named like you know Apple and Dream are going to be yeah. like fucking goose I mean, stepping, like, <laughs> like Khaleesi for real this time. <laughs> <laughs> the I dude, I have to say too, like as um, you know, as one of your friends, it's such a weird thing to. I mean, it's a weird. Th- I, I think I guess it's a weird thing for a person to have an open relationship with their own um, mortality. But it, and it's I think everyone th- should. Well, I mean, yeah, people should. But the when we die, everybody's like, "Oh God, I'm dying!" Like it's a surprise. Like it wasn't coming the whole time. You know, and I, I think that that's that that's one of the you know one of the staples of human existence is that we I, I think you know in that rep you know reptile brain we we believe everybody around us will die, but that we won't. You know, so it always um it always comes as a surprise, but. One of the weird things about, I mean, I remember coming to visit you in the hospital and, and you flipped me the bird right away. And then you were like, motherfucker, you should be here. Not me. And you were right. It it does seem, um, it does seem like cosmically unfair, you know, that this happened to you when you were always the, you were pussy boots. You were, you were the guy who didn't go fucking as hard as the rest of us. Yeah. And uh, and then I don't know to just have this weird fucking shadow walking with us everywhere we went to fucking band practice or to the liquor store or to a show or whatever um, that which was like your mortality or your death or your you know your fucking defibrillator you know and and when I was like when I was cat sitting for you this summer. I, I can't remember if I had like misplaced the house keys or was looking for them or something. And you had the, like a bowl of crap on yeah. a shelving unit. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, the, and one of the things in there was your fucking, your defibrillator, the, the, My defibrillator, yeah. the little <laughs> iPod that's constantly playing it's raining men in your heart and, and, and keeping you alive. And to the, I don't know to to like fucking pick that thing up and hold it in my hand. It was so weird. It was just so yeah. bizarre. Yeah, my favorite part is uh, is that they they stenciled on it not for human reuse. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're gonna sell it, it out. Block, put it up on eBay, right? Exactly. But I guess people do that. Uh, I'm I'm not joking. I guess there is a secondary market for that sort of thing, but. Um, yeah, like when they asked, when they took this last one out there, like, uh, do you want to keep it? I was like, fuck yeah, I want to keep it. I was like, just, you know, give it to me when you're done. They're like, we can't do that anymore. 
because they did that for the one before they just let me walk out with it you know oh, wow. like we have to send it back to the factory and like you know thoroughly sanitize it make sure that it's not like active anymore and they came back with this not for human reuse which is like very weirdly specific piece of legalese to like be stenciled on a medical implant so it's the perfect place for it the key bowl the the Eggs, um slides keys defibrillators the equal and opposite emotion that I had picking that up was, um, I won't name his name, but a, a friend of ours, a guy that you and I both know, we love him dearly, very into design, very into his lovely wife, and he was very into phones for a while. And I remember in 2002 or 2003 when, when we were at Lux, the, <clears throat> he had this teeny tiny little phone, like he would always get the newest phone and the smallest one. and the um, And he was like, uh, yeah, check it out. You know, the, try and make a call on it. And it was like trying to make a phone call on a fun size Snickers or something. And I was like the, um, I was like, man, I, I could, I could fit this in my mouth. And he was like, yeah, that's not the only place it fits. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like fucking that. Here, take it back, man. The, Jesus Christ. The, and it was, yeah. It's pretty grody. Yeah. It was yeah. Real gross. I was, I was, I was just like, Man, the I could have not. There's no way I would have predicted that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> grateful for fucking weird moments like that with my friends. Oh, that's that's what makes life worth living, baby. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, where are you at with the new? Uh, you sent me a bunch of don't demos, and giraffes yeah. are currently mixing a new record. Yeah, slowly, but yeah, we're, we're getting through it. Um, and I, yeah, I feel that I'm feeling made to do more solo stuff as well. Um, but I'll get to that when I have time. Uh, yeah, don't, it has basically all principal tracking done on our second record. Um, and I've just been sort of like adding everything that I possibly can from home to it over the last, like, you know, throughout the pandemic, like when I had a moment. Um, I'm still not done with it. It's basically going to be like Chinese democracy. Who knows when that shit's coming out again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I like it. Giraffes have been slowly but surely just plodding along. I, I kind of feel like just the knowledge that it takes like 18 months to get a record pressed right now is like kind of broken yeah. a lot of people's stride. Yeah. Um, so... I I'm embarrassed that I haven't put a record out in, well, I, I haven't put a full length out since whatever 2018, but I have put out a bunch of little sort of EPs and dribs and drabs here and there. Yeah. The, yeah. But you know, the, the older we get, the more complex our lives get and the harder it is to just be like, okay, we're going to, everybody's going to go away for 10 days and we're going to record mix and you know, this record's going to be fucking done, you know? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, we only, drafts. Uh, I only had that experience basically one time. The one time giraffes went out to Joshua Tree. Um, uh-huh. Every other time we we did something, it was always like, "All right, this Tuesday we're going," and, you know. And then like two weeks later, all right, that, that Sunday we're going. Yeah, you know? shit's so hard. The um, Rad and I are doing a split single with uh, Timo from Netherlands, and he's <laughs> uh, he's awesome. like he's not mixing it. He's like producing it. Right. So he's, right. The, he's, you know, going down the fucking Timo wormhole to give it the full treatment. And I, um, and he's cutting us an awesome rate and it's the bro rate. And it's also more than I want to pay. And also I was thinking the other day, like 
to not have to fucking sit in front of my, I'm such a lousy guitar player to not have to sit in front of my amp, just like staring at my fingers and hating them, trying to get the fucking take right. And then listening back to it. And it just sounds like so wooden and, you know, unfeeling that to not have to go through that. Like I'll fucking pay any price. Yeah. 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 I, yeah I know the feeling mm-hmm. it's yeah. I, I just try to get around that by just tricking myself into having fun when I'm recording. That's why I sort of take into doing stuff at home. Uh-huh. because there's no stakes there's no nerves um when i started doing my own solo stuff and i had like a basement studio like off 25th street like i i realized after a few weeks that i was just noodling around so then i started recording everything i did as a way of like kind of being like you have to perform now and that forced me to like get over it which helped a lot and i still really like a lot of that stuff it was all basically improvised but I would like to be able to do that again. So, I mean, this is something I definitely want to talk about because you and I operate completely opposite in the way that we write and create um, in that. I mean, fucking hate to say it, but if it seems like I'm up there just organically chatting away that no, I've fucking I've rehearsed every breath, every part. I remember you telling me when we went on that first tour together, you're like, bro, you need to work on your banter between songs a little bit. Like you need to have some stuff like picked out that you're going to talk about at the, at, the, at the specific breaks between specific songs in the set. You got to know these things. And I'm thinking to myself, like, who does this? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what planet are you from? Like, no, this is a rock and roll show, man. You don't rehearse that. The, you know, one of the things that I like, I learned a lot of shit being in New York and being in this environment where you were sort of competing with everybody all the time for the slightest amount of audience or, you know, fucking 40 bucks or whatever. And there was definitely something that happened to me when I was in, um, when I was in grad school at Columbia where I sort of taught myself, I, I, I don't know if it was like my radicalization or whatever, but I just sort of had this epiphany where I was like, if you want to fucking make it here, if you want to, every single thing you need to be, to do is in narrow pursuit of your own, um, artistic career. And it has taken me a fucking eternity to try to release I don't know, whatever it is, life from that stranglehold. Fuck you. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing because it's the funniest fucking thing in the world to me. But like from the wilds of fucking Saskatchewan, he got radicalized <laughs> at Columbia about his, about his branding. It's fucking hilarious to me. Yes, it makes perfect sense. Of course, that's what happened in Columbia. Of course, that's the complex they gave you. Of course, because it's fucking Columbia, because it's New York City, because it's the market town. You know dude, what I mean? This dude, is I, where you I, sell or die. It's weird that you fucking shout out Saskatchewan because I remember, I you just made me remember like fucking where it happened, which was, you know, my, my uncle Ed, who died a couple years back, uh, had written me a letter for my birthday and it was like barely literate. And mm. I, and he was sort of like repeating himself and the, and the writing was sort of like drifting all over the page. Mm-hmm. And I remember it, I remember reading it and loving my uncle because I fucking adored him and just my entire body flushing with this white trash shame that mm. 
we were dumb rednecks and like we didn't belong to be here in this country and I didn't belong in New York and like I definitely didn't belong at Columbia with all these fucking blue bloods and the and that may have been it man where I was just like I need to yeah. the I need to uh it was my full metal jacket moment where I was like I need to just fucking do this yeah. the and and in the process you know freaked out about it and stressed out about it so much that I stripped all the fun away from it but the is don't still mostly improvisational like because when i was listening to the the demos i can hear you and mitchell talking and like the oh that had a good vibe or that felt like it had good momentum or whatever the yeah are you still improvising words music or did it does it come out of improv you know improvisation that then you cultivate yeah that's what it, it comes out of improvisation and then we cultivate when when, when we were playing more often out um, and this is a few years back, it kind of got to the point where we could just free jazz it and people would be like, well, those new songs sound great. You know what I mean? And, and people wouldn't know that was always the goal to like come in there without a plan and like do, do something that wasn't like a free jazz set, but that felt like a rock and roll set, but was completely unique. Um, and when we were playing a lot, we could do that. And, uh, and that was wonderful to do. We are not playing as much anymore, obviously. No one is. Yeah. So like the, the, the batch of songs are basically they're all improvised and then repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and the stuff that stays stays. And I can't explain all of it and I can't defend a lot of it. It's just it's what's there. I, and I it's one of those things where, you know, you'll sing with sort of like mock whatever comes up in your head lyrics to, to anchor a melody down. Um and then um I've gone back and tried to rewrite and change it. And nine times out of 10, it doesn't work. Huh? It's, I mean, it's funny because one of the things that I always harp on with my students is the importance of revision and editing your work and yep. being willing to sort of go in and just like chop everything up or throw, throw shit out or, you know, and so, so many times, so often, like I'll just go back and, um, look at a piece that I've written and I'm like, well, that's it. <laughs> you know, the, I'll, I'll change a couple of little things, but this is basically it. And, and what I just need to do is just move on to the next thing. Um, yeah. There's it's, it's like, I remember playing pool and realizing that once I got a good rhythm going, I was like sinking a lot more shots than if I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, trying to think of uh, you know the editing thing i always thought that was like really important in the first don't record we approached john spencer to see if he would mix it because i in my mind john spencer is i'm a big fan of his but he's an editor like he's got an editor's mind like the way he cuts up like their songs and all that sort of stuff like he's he's weird that way he's a very particular editing type of dude he, he's that and um he didn't really change that much. <laughs> like he just kind of like <laughs> let it go. And, and even weirder, he's like, what's that weird little thing that you said back there in the background? I just barely picked it up. Hold on. Let's bring that up to the front. I love these things. I love these things. And <laughs> I remember asking him, I was like, so, all right. So when you were doing your, your things, like, you know, a lot of that stuff that was improvised and he's looking at me and just like blinking with incredulous, you know, incredulously and staring at me. I'm like, you improvised a lot of that stuff. Right. And he's like, fuck no man all that's written down i'm like seriously 
take away from my pant leg is like that's not improvised. <laughs> like, it's so funny to think about him like that? sitting there like in front of a computer being like barbecue yeah. sauce. <laughs> chicken exactly. leg <laughs> like exactly it's amazing it's so great um yeah it just yeah it just there's there's an ocean there's a universe between my mind and other people's minds uh and that's amazing to me you know i i remember seeing uh blues explosion in like maybe 94 when they were doing yeah. fucking 300 shows a year yeah. and they they were touring on orange and they played for an hour and or maybe it was 45 minutes or whatever the but they never stopped it was just it, yeah. the, it was a medley of like all the songs yeah. this one into that one and you know and it was fucking incredible and it was such a blast and you know the and then by the end they just all looked like they'd been uh it was like the you can't do that on television where they'd all just been uh-huh. slimed they're all just drenched yeah. in sweat you know from working so hard for so long um, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's what I thought of like the records were the records, but once I saw them live, I was like, wait a minute, like he's on the fly, like calling out like changes to this song before the song they're playing is even finished. He's calling out the next one. And then they just go into it like halfway through, like, and it's just nonstop like that. It's super ADD. He's DJ basically. Um, I, I remember seeing them at Pussycat Lounge with you one year during yeah. CMJ, and I think they were about to do all tomorrow's parties, and they were about to play Orange or something. And I had a, I think I had a flask, like a plastic flask of vodka in my fucking jean jacket or something, and the and you and I were just ye- yelling every single word to the fucking album because both of yeah. I both of us knew it inside out. Yep, just annoying the shit out of everybody. Of course, of course. That show was also with Blowfly. Oh fuck, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and, yeah, and I remember because like Blues Explosion borrowed. I think they borrowed like Negatones gear or something, and like, yeah. uh, fucking Judah was playing through some like a GK bass amp or whatever, but it still sounded exactly like him. And I fuck, I forgot about Blowfly. That was yeah. I, I yeah. couldn't have been like too long before he died. No, yeah, I think he passed away like maybe the year after or something like that. He was he was an older dude. He was still you know he yeah. was still blow by. Um, but that that was like that was an amazing night. That was one of those nights that I was like, oh, well, I'm here. I, I've made it. Where this is where yeah. I want to be. I'm happy. The um, do you have a don't track? We can uh, we like if you have something new and unreleased. Do you have something like that? We can sneak into the podcast or maybe something. That, yeah, they're uh, all pretty rough. Um, the, how much we'll, time do you have we'll pick, all thinking I, mean, all the- I have all the fucking time in the world pick um pick one that you like and message me afterwards and we'll uh we'll sneak it sure. in right sure right here
I do have to tell you, dude, the I've always had such a fucking emotionally tricky relationship listening to Don't. Yeah. I mean, because, it did come, and come out of the breakup of Buck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, because I, I remember you were making, you're doing the Tsugani stuff just at home, like yelling in your into your laptop. Yeah. And then uh, I pestered you to start a band and, and brought Mitchell on board. And yep. then we had R- Romanian Buck going for a minute, and that was such a fucking great band. Also at a time when I was completely falling apart. And then uh, I remember I remember watching you guys play one night, and it was like, I was like, I, I fucking nagged this motherfucker to start a live band, and this is the drummer who I brought in. And now Mitchell is playing a drum kit that I hooked him up with. Aaron's playing through a twin that I hooked him up with, with a guitar yep. that I built. Yep. And, and I'm here in the fucking crowd, the digging it. Cause it's great. And also, man, fuck you both straight to hell. Like what the <laughs> fuck, man, the, all I ever wanted to do in my life was be in a good fucking band. And that's like the, that's something I've never been able to hang on to. Yeah, I mean, look, look, I, I, I walked away from the giraffes, and uh, I did not feel bad about doing that. I was fine with it. Um, but when Buck kind of fell apart, that was probably the biggest disappointment of my musical career, for sure. Oh, dude, I, yeah, that was that was fucking lot. heartbreaking. That was such a rough time. <clears throat> the, I, I do have a tendency to go back through my life and look at every turn and be like, you motherfucker, you asshole. Like the, I can't believe you treated people that way, or I can't believe the, and I think, you know, having 13 years of sobriety now, I think looking back, what I should have done was do a better job of communicate to you guys how much I was struggling at that time, having just gotten sober and the, just how hard it was, you know, and then when uh, well, you're taking you can't take all the blame for it. I mean, it wasn't. You know no, what that's what, mean, what like I'm saying is that I, I that's what I'm saying is I I usually do. And that's one yeah. instance where I was like the. Right. Where, where I, I don't feel like I had all the blame. I mean, it's ancient fucking history now. The, yeah. But it's uh, yeah, it's definitely well, the songs are still out there. Yeah, the I mean the, the the shit's great. I you know I wish that we had uh, I wish we you know managed to make a record with, uh, with with Mitchell or with Max or it sucks that that's definitely one of the things that I look back on and feel tons of regret about is all the the songs that were started that we you know were are half finished that that then we never you know, sort of brought the whole way, um, but uh, the new demos sound fucking great, dude. The I mean it's. It's everything that I love. The you have an amazing voice. I, the fucking slide guitar, the blown out, um, you know, the blown out guitar. Yeah, it sounds fucking great. Thanks, thanks, man. That's that's the stuff I like too. I like a lot of the same shit. So, glad. Let's um, let's try and end on death here too, since that's what we started on. Uh, All right, Jim. When um, when I was out there. One of the last days that I was there, you guys were in the studio mixing, and yeah. 
you were mixing uh, a song that you wrote for Fleming. Uh, oh yeah, the Fleming song. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I can't say like our friend. I mean, I think he was your guy's friend. He the, was more. I, I knew friend. him a little bit. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> but. Um, but I think we all had a conflicted relationship with him. Well, the guy was a monster. I mean, <laughs> you know, like the guy, he was a complete scumbag, but at the same time, he wasn't. The My last interactions with him kind of like sum up his, my, my overall relationship with him. And I think it sums up a lot of people's relationship with him. He, so Flynn was the guy that Zeras wrote Haunted Heaven about back in the day. Flynn was actually one of the people who fronted the giraffes briefly before, like I joined them. Oh, fuck, uh, that's right. Yeah. He was like Damien's childhood friend. Uh, the guy who got him into like Bukowski and all that other stuff. Um, literate. Loved golden child of like a relatively successful family, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, he just he became a junkie and he was like just the junkie dude. You know, he was everybody's like nightmare junkie friend when he got bad and when he was good, he was like kind of great to hang out with. Um, and you never knew what you were going to get with the dude. So the last time, last couple of times I saw him was right after I moved to Staten Island and I moved to Staten Island and I had known that like he was either here or I knew he had family here. So I kind of suspected he might be around. So one, one night I'm walking home from the ferry and I see him and I go, and we both like look at each other and like do the like head check. And he goes, Oh yeah, I heard you were living out here. I was like, yeah, I heard that about you too. And we had just like a brief, nice talk. You know, he was walking his dog around. His dog was very sweet. He seemed to be calm. He seemed to be relatively clean. He seemed to be like, you know, handling him, himself. Okay. Uh, and I walked away from it going like, maybe I can be friends with him now. Maybe he's a little cleaned up and then cut to like a few weeks later and he's just sort of reeling sideways in the shadows as I'm walking with like my wife at night after having dinner. And he's just like, eh, and I'm just like, God damn it. Like he's literally foaming at the mouth. And he you know, was definitely that, a foamer. I definitely, I remember a bunch of times talking to him and he would have uh, like the fucking little flat yeah, spit in the yeah. corner of his mouth. And that was a good sign yeah. that he was yeah. faded. And yeah. And then I started noticing like he would, there, there, all these tags were showing up on my block. You know what I mean? And I, I'm on a residential block. You know what I mean? But the, yeah, yeah. you know, a stone wall would have Flem one, like you know, tagged on it. You know what I mean? And like just out of nowhere, and and Damien's like, you seeing tags everywhere? I was like, yeah. He's like, Flem told me he's doing it to fuck with you. I was like, it's not fucking with me, really. But like, you know, okay, I guess. Like, I'm not why would he be fucking with you? The yeah. yeah, I mean, you guys didn't have beef or anything. No, I think it's more just like mischievous. Like I'm going to freak him out. I, I, you know, I get it. Uh, didn't really freak me out so much. It made me sad because when he passed, I knew where one of the tags was in my neighborhood. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go get a picture of it and send it to Damien just for, you know, for him. Uh-huh. Cause it would, you know, it might help him a little bit. And I went back to the wall where it was and it had just been completely grown over. You know what I mean? With like the moss and lichens and stuff like that, it was no longer there. Um, so, yeah. So I, I didn't want him to fade away so much. And when Damien, he started writing the music for that piece around the time 
that we got the news, or at least I heard it the first time around. We got the news of Flint passing, and it just it just fell together. It made perfect sense. So that's what that song became about. It's, I mean, it's curious for me because I had no love for the guy. You know, he pulled a fucking uh, butterfly knife on me at Damien's uh, wedding. I remember that, yep. and I I was like. I can handle this, you know. I'm I got a large you body, like plenty, plenty of stabbing. Yeah, but plenty like of stabbing guy. room here. That you know, I'm. I you can get me once, I'll be okay. And then you know, um, but I was, but it was Damien's fucking wedding, so I wasn't going to do anything. So I just sort of like had to take it, and then and that was my last interaction with him. Was you know, was him fucking pulling a blade on me. The, but I guess one of the, I guess the thing that I'm curious about is that. Uh, in that song, uh, it, it there's definitely like tenderness, a sense of regret, a sense of something that's lost. The where does that come from, or how did you how did you locate that? How did you harness that for that song for for somebody like Flem who was who was ugly a lot of the time? Yeah, uh, it's through Jeannie and Damien, who okay. both loved him and still love him. Um, and you know, like he was not like a dear, near and dear friend of mine. Like I'm sad he's gone, but like, you know, like he, I I wasn't like, I I didn't, I don't love him the way that these guys love him. You know what I mean? Like they love him. Uh, he's like family to them. And I remember just listening to the like guitar part that Damien put together while I was just scrolling through on my phone and seeing just Jeannie had posted all of these pictures of him when he was young and he hadn't been ravaged so much. And uh, Damien had just told me stories about how, like when he was a young kid, he was just like such a bright eyed, beautiful, sweet kid that like everybody loved. He was like super intelligent and super warm and super engaging and precocious. And um, he looked a lot younger than his age. So like one of his first scams was running like the UNICEF donation (laughs) <laughs> on the subway you know what i mean and he would just take it and go buy like candies or cigarettes or something at like 10 um you know uh and they're there but for the grace of you know whatever goes to the rest of us like yeah the guy was a piece of shit a lot of the time um but so is everybody and i don't want to write off pieces of shit it's just not worthy of anything and in a, in a certain way, like, I would rather memorialize a piece of shit than lionize somebody who kind of doesn't need it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, a, a yeah. life well lived is its own reward. I really believe that. That's why I do what I do. Like, I don't do, I'm not doing what I do to, like, really glean much from it. Lord knows I'm not very good at, like, being self-promotional or, like, you know, trying to forward my career because I don't care about it. I just enjoy doing what I do and I do it because it makes me a human being. And if I didn't do it, I'd be less happy and less of a human being. Um, So, yeah.
fascism
One, one of the things that that's so interesting for me um, about that song is that I don't know that you were able to inhabit the love that Damien and, and Jeannie had for Flem. The um, I don't think I don't know if th- that that's something that I could do. You know, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's because I did have you know a grudge against him for um, for a couple different reasons. You know, the but just to be, to be able to drop into that to another person's sentiment or another person's emotion and then inhabit it that fully. The um, I don't. I mean, it's it feels kind of fucking noble, dude. I I will use that word. You know. Okay. I mean, well, I, I, but it's also, you write about, you, you write first person. Like I've always, I've always written through characters. I have a really hard time writing first person. It's very, very unnatural for me to write for first person. Um, so we're just, we're just made different, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I, I guess the thing that's easy for me is the thing that's difficult for you and vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, man. Let's fucking uh, let's wrap it up. Do you have uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Do you have giraffe shit that's coming up? This this will probably drop in a couple of weeks. The okay. Um, you guys are playing with uh, Gibby Haynes from Butthole Surfers, right? Dipper uh, on September sixteenth. We're playing with Gibby Haynes in Brooklyn. I guess with a child's. Uh, it's a band of all kids. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad that yeah. you guys are finally embracing your fucking dad rock roots. The, this, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's to, a great. To me, idea. it's like, yeah, yeah. For me, for me, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, it's just that's very, that's a very Gibby thing. Um, when, uh, when's the new Giraffes record going to be out? Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't make any predictions on that one. <laughs> Uh, I, I wanted it to be done last year and it could have been done last year if we knuckled down, but, uh, we're, we're not there yet. So hopefully yeah. soon. Yeah. And do you have uh, new don't stuff coming or no? Yeah. I mean, I have this whole like record ready to go. Basically I've just got to add a few more finishing touches and that should be good. Then we just got to get it mixed and mastered and printed. So who the fuck knows when that's going to come. <laughs> I, I, you know, now that we're, everyone's coming back to life and, and everyone's going to shows. Well, most people are going to shows again. Um, I would really like to get back on the horse and, and play more, but we'll see what the viral gods have in store for us this fall. It does feel like things are starting to, to starting to start, you know, the, I think of like the, uh, the old timey guy getting out and like turning the crank in the front of his car, <laughs> to, like trying yeah. to get it started. The it's yeah. definitely uh, it's like a big old machine, and it's taking a lot to fucking get it back up to speed again. Um, but uh, well, I mean, both your bands are as as fucking yeah. good good as I've ever seen bands ever. So um, I do hope you you get back out there. Thanks, man. And I can't wait to hear what you. Yeah, we'll see the, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be real interesting. The Timo just texted me while we're, uh, while we're talking here. So hopefully I'll have some, uh, new stuff soon, but, um, good to see your face, brother. Don't, uh, don't die before I see you next. 
Uh, no promises. I love your uh, DJ Khaled picture and uh, the velvet. What's going on? What's the velvet back there? What's the velvet? Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I found that on the corner of the uh, Clinton and Washington in Brooklyn. So I've always just called him Clinton Washington. It's fucking great. I know that one. Uh, and I have a John Wayne poster that I found in the bottom of uh, 735 Meeker where we lived when, I, when we were like moving out. Yep. 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 Yeah. They, they're, they're uh, yeah. For me. All right. Good to see you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. You too, man. Be well. Thank you. Bye. Folks. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's uh a million podcasts out there. We appreciate you uh, you spending your time with us. The um, if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if you if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes song demos just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations all sorts of different uh, bonus material writing advice uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that uh, go to patreon.com slash mishka shabali uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and i answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there uh, thank you so much for supporting 